This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Sejendro Arcava. And I'm Lily Lukau. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, we learn about the Connecting Voices program and other efforts for Latino and BIPOC behavioral health. That's right. We hear from the executive director of the National Latino Behavioral Health Association, Fred Sandoval. The night doesn't stop there. We share another powerful letter to Palestinian journalist Bisan Auda from the Leaders for Change Fellow from the New Mexico Dream Team, Osiris Rodriguez. We also have community events to share with you and our weekly vaccine equity segment. Let's start the night off with Border Song, Holy Moses by Aretha Franklin. Fred Sandoval is the executive director of the National Latino Behavioral Health Association. He has over 40 years of professional experience in health and human services. He has received the SAMHSA Administrator Award, the Cerro Grande Fire Hero Award, the Con Elma Health Foundation Health Hero Award, and numerous national recognitions for his work in and with Latino communities. Tonight we speak with him to hear his wisdom on the needs of Latino youth what his hopes are regarding the legislative session, mental health, and more. Here is Eve Nanez speaking with Fred Sandoval. This is Eve Nanez with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Fred Sandoval, Executive Director of the National Latino Behavioral Health Association. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you, Eve. Good to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to this interview, by the way. <laughs> Please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, I'll keep it brief and more importantly, thank you for the opportunity to be here with you and to be here to share some of my thoughts and I'm excited to hear a lot about the work that Generation Justice does, continues to do, and how you all play a significant role in advancing the work of the young leaders of today. So just about me very quickly, I've been in the health and human services field for 40 years, and most of that has actually been in the behavioral health field in almost every aspect of it, both as a provider, both in prevention and in treatment and in crisis services and recovery, but also have served as a policy implementer, having worked in state and local government, also have helped to develop many programs very successfully here in our state to help serve both young populations and adult populations. And then lastly, I've had the opportunity to work as a executive director for the National Latino Behavioral Health Association, means that I'm in New Mexico, certainly provide programs and services in New Mexico, but also across the country. We're a training and technical assistance center and have been from the inception of our organization, the year 2000. And I'm excited to be here because it's a chance to use my advocacy voice, right? And to do that, to help advocate for how youth development, youth engagement, and youth leadership is critical and essential to the well-being of this country today more than ever. So I hope to be able to share some insights and also to really 
highlight things that not just our organization does, but groups like Generation Justice, who certainly demonstrate through their own leadership. And you're at a very classic example of how that's done. So I just want to say that we want to highlight what's powerful about youth involvement and leadership, because in part, we now recognize so significantly that the value of youth as part of our workforce, youth as part of our decision-making, and youth as part of our communities has to have a permanent place at the table. And that needs to be held steadfast by anyone who is in this helping system. So that's being a nutshell. Well, that's very well said. And we're so glad to be able to have you here with us today. I'm so glad to be able to talk with you and learn a little bit more about what you do. And you were talking about this in the work that you do a little bit, but could you tell me a little bit more about the National Latino Behavioral Health Association and the work that you do? Sure, absolutely. Well, I'm always proud to kind of talk about our origins because it's a place to say, here's a great place to start. And during the President Clinton administration, the federal government actually had the first Latina Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration director work at that agency. And her, her name, of course, was Nava Chavez. And in her role while the SAMHSA administrator, she established the first Mental Health Latino Congress in the United States. So a hundred of us Latino leaders across the country were convened to help produce a roadmap if you think about it, a position paper on what we would recommend the federal government do to help improve the Latino health in our communities across the nation. I was very fortunate and blessed to be part of that, that reports still exist and those recommendations still hold true. And one recommendation was the formation of a National Latino Behavioral Health Association. And much to the credit of our founding members, particularly Josie T. Romero, helped establish this organization. And it was, in fact, one of the recommendations from the report. Five years into the founding of the organization, she passed away. But we still honor her work in several ways. One of our scholarship programs is actually named after her. And it actually is supporting Latino college students financially to get a behavioral health degree in order to help our communities here in New Mexico. So we honor her, her, we pay tribute to her because it takes so much to be able to form a collective body of professional Latinos and families and advocates to work together collaboratively to meet our mission. Our mission is to be able to address the big gaps and the disparities in services, funding, research, and advocacy needed to advance our well-being because the federal government still lags behind in many ways in how to more effectively be of service to what is almost one-fifth of the population in this country. And keep in mind that it'll be just within a generation or two, but we will be the largest population in the United States. And so when we talk about leadership now, it's very relevant to how do we address our needs and who it is that's going to help us to do that. And that's why youth involvement youth engagement and youth leadership is critical to how we get there because our needs are huge and oftentimes underserved. So we want to be able to, as an organization, provide training, technical assistance, advocacy, education, information, and prevention services to be able to help improve the well-being of Latinos, whether it's a young population 
for an older population. And the reason why is because we need to be able to have our behavioral health needs met. And our job as an association is to help facilitate that, to inform, educate, advocate, so that the system of care improves and strengthens how it does that. That's really awesome to hear, like the areas that are covered by the association. And I didn't know that that's how the association started out. So thank you for sharing that with me. What are some of the biggest concerns that you're paying attention to for Latino and BIPOC behavioral health right now? What a great question. It's In fact, it's a critical question. I think it's the kind of question that anyone in this country in any leadership role should have a good answer for. And the reason why is because what's happening is we're seeing two things intersect. The young Latino population of the United States is growing faster than any group in the country. So what that tells us is we have such a fast growing population and a young population that what's happening is they are the recipients, the consumers, the members of society who in fact are very much being impacted by what is happening in American society today, being impacted by the mental health crisis in our country today, and in fact are a reflection of how oftentimes there is inadequate resources and services and care being provided to Latinos as a whole and then to all the subgroups within that population because it's the large population to begin with, right? Right. We're almost, almost 20% now of the country's population. But of that, unlike any other group, we're experiencing those two things, a rapid population growth and then a continuation of disparity in providing us services. And that means the gaps to our wellness are gaping because there are in, woefully inadequate services to serve the country, one, and then it becomes even more disparate for populations like ourselves, right? Because of our unique needs for um, mental health services and mental health care. And so while those are the two big driving forces at this point, here's, I think, something we need to take heed of. And that is COVID was a very painful experience in all the ways that we have observed and helped to address as an organization. Because what we found was there was such a disproportionate number of individuals who were impacted by COVID of all ages. And as a result of that, we may have lost sight of the fact that the young populations were in a very vulnerable and volatile situation. And I get reminded of it all the time, which is good. And as parents often say, or the advocates or say, or school staff will say, or even the students will say, is one day I would be in school, the next day I wouldn't be in school. The next day they would close for another week. Then the next following month, we'd be brought back in a hybrid fashion. And then we'd go back home and the families were put in a turmoil trying to manage decisions outside of their control. And it disrupted and had a very negative impact on the educational process, but it had a significant emotional negative impact on the well-being of the young population, the students and those individuals. The isolation it created, the chaos it created, and for some, even some of these could have been traumatic experiences, if, if you think about it. And all of that has had a negative consequence on the well-being of Latino youth and youth in general. But what we observed was then, how do the Latino kids then adjust to all of that? How do they cope with all of that? 
And you know what? There are longstanding impacts from that. And that's what we're seeing a lot of today, behavioral health challenges, uh, the way individuals conduct themselves, the way they interact with others, with adults, with other peers, the stressors, oh my gosh, the multiple stressors that the young population are experiencing. So we're watching for that, looking for that. And so that's how it has helped us become a prevention provider. And it's also making us now think very seriously about what can we do to address in a more direct fashion, the mental health needs of the young population. So those are the things we're watching, but we're studying them, analyzing, being, being critical of it, because this is what has happened to that young population. And it means it has disrupted their lives. And those disruptions have still not been fully remedied. So we want to make sure we draw attention to it, talk about it, and you are creating a platform that helps to do that. So they want to say thank you for helping facilitate that. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that it's a really critical issue that we need to be paying attention to. So I'm glad that, you know, both of our, our work and, you know, the work here at GJ is centered on that. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about the Connecting Our Voices program. Oh, gosh. Well, you have a great insight to NALBA then. It is actually our prevention program. And what's really cool about prevention is that it works. And two, I'm excited to talk about how it works and how we do that. And prevention is all about how do you help in advance and be proactive to reduce the risks that impact young persons, right? The young adults or teenagers or adolescents and children, right? Because given what we know about child development, using that term or brain development is another way of describing it. The first quarter of a person's life is still developing its ability, its cognitive capacity, its intellectual growth to be able to be able to then function as a fully mature adult, right? So what happens, we use numbers to differentiate it, but the truth is the brain is transcending all of that. It's really how do we protect the brain from being impaired so that the person can be fully mature in their cognitive skills, their ability to intellectually respond in ways that helps demonstrate their coping skills emotionally or helps them learn and how to expand this incredible thing called the human brain. But having said all of that, our prevention program is focused on how do we reduce the risk factors that will cause individuals to then alter the natural course of brain development, right? And we know that drugs and substances can in fact negative contribute to how the brain develops. And so we want to be able to reduce substance use. And we have done that certainly not just in Northern New Mexico, but we want to be able to focus on the fact that prevention is applicable in any community across the country, but happens to be that our prevention program called Connecting Our Voices, which is located in the Northern part of the state, operating out of the Española Valley, Chimayo Valley, and the Powaki Valley, has really led us to really be excited about not only do we, how do we bring prevention services to the youth that we do serve, but then how do we engage the youth and the community in helping us plan, assess our success, contribute to our success by informing and educating or having the youth lead as youth interns some of the programs and the development of ideas that we're doing, just kind of in the same role you're in, right? Where you're here facilitating the interview, you're here leading that process while we believe the same thing, right? And our prevention program has that because part of informing and educating is that who better than the person with the lived experience 
to do that. Anyway, to your part, our prevention program is phenomenal. It targets youth between the ages of 11 and 14. And this could be for any individual of any different background, all for purposes of advancing, promoting, increasing their use of protective skills, protective factor skills, in order to reduce the likelihood or the propensity to use substances or to act out in ways that have negative consequences. And prevention is just a great formula. R6 has, has been because I think our community members, the youth who we serve, the team who helps facilitate the sessions, the school districts that have brought us in, that has been the recipe for success. And it's in part because we all need each other and we're doing it for the sole purpose of ensuring that the young population have an opportunity, have access to learning about how prevention works so they can apply these skills and apply these concepts because it has to be done at that point. Otherwise, you can't reverse some things that impair the brain's development. We want to be able to help that individual not have to experience what? Experiencing inhalants, experiencing access to fentanyl, or doing the things that in fact are going to be not just mind altering, but brain altering, where it affects the brain's ability to help them with cognitive thinking, being able to be able to make great decision-making, to really be able to have the full opportunity of not having their brains impaired. So for us, this is so critical to the health and the well-being of the youth, not only in our program, but in our state and in our country. You know, in our conversation, you've been talking a lot about the importance that young people play today and not just in the future. You were also talking about my next question a little bit earlier about some of the issues that are impacting mental health. But what are some of the issues that you see, you know, globally that are affecting and impacting mental health? Well, gosh, you know, today the hottest topic is artificial intelligence, right? And so when you break it down to things such as informational technology or the modern devices of our time, we have something to be concerned about. We can value and appreciate how it is that information, which is power, by the way, that we have to not lose sight of the fact that information is power. But power can be used in different ways. And power that's gained may not be shared or power that's gained from information oftentimes can do harm. So let's remember that it has, has a yin and yang effect, right? But having said that, I think the technology of the times is having such a big impact on the on the youth of today. Because if you think about, let's just think of it in one way for just for a second here. How does one develop a habit? And then how does one develop a persistent propensity to repeat habits that create patterns? And how is it that certain patterns, in fact, can be so ingrained in our everyday use of our brain? and attaching that to devices that are making us think, function, and do things that in fact are controlling to a large extent our behaviors, we have to be very conscious about the fact that the modern artificial intelligence of today is invading our space. Centering a little bit back here in New Mexico, during this legislative session, what are some of your hopes for the outcomes of the session? You know, there's something that's trending in New Mexico right now that I think is, I think it's personally very exciting. 
and I, I want to just highlight it because there's a lot of good things that happen to the legislature and, you know, the, you know, thousands of efforts that are made to introduce legislation by all of our members of the legislature, for those who are very active, particularly, there's a lot of good proposals, right? It's ways of trying to improve things in our systems and strengthen those things that we do well, or to try to curtail the things that probably aren't working so well and creating prohibitions and restrictions. Anyway, that's the legislative and policy environment we're in. All of that to say is that in the health and human services in particular, right? I appreciate the fact that legislators are getting increasingly more comfortable talking about mental health subjects and behavioral subjects. And the reason why is because you can no longer afford as a policymaker to look the other way. It is now so obvious that it's part of the social infrastructure of society for us as policymakers or implementers to pay attention to those impacts, what are the issues, the characteristics of our communities, and that is people's wellness matters, unlike any time ever before. Government was established in large measure to help with the health, safety, and welfare of its residents, right? Thank God we started there, but we have struggled with how to do it, no doubt, and there's tension in our country about how to do it, because there are some people who say, no, we don't want government involved in those things. But its mission and its purpose is just that, right? So it's it's always one force against another trying to figure out how to determine certain outcomes. Well, I think one of the outcomes that I see happening in New Mexico's decision-making and policy-making environments, particularly the legislature, is this, is the development of wellness rooms in school systems across the country and in, certainly in our state. So there's now a growth in that area. I think there's something to be said about having these healthy, safe places in school settings where what happens is you create an environment that's conducive for ensuring that youth can have a place in that setting where they can get the emotional support that's needed both physically, emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically. And I, so I want to kind of point that particular effort right now. So there is certainly support for it there in terms of the benefits of it. Now, of course, comes the reconciliation of well, how much to invest in that, because these investments are, in fact, addressing an immediate need. The well-being of New Mexico's youth are so negatively concentrated and chronic that all of us as policy implementers or makers can quote you that we rank at 48th or 49th or 50 in these well-being indicators in the country. My God, how many this has been going on for how, how long? More than a generation. There's nothing to be proud of there. But the solutions and innovative solutions that are doable and within our reach, such as developing wellness rooms, is a really good example of proposed legislation that we as advocates can support so that when it does get introduced formally, then that means for those who lobby for these kinds of efforts, are to increase the number of wellness rooms across the entire state so that every school district and every school system that benefits from these public resources can actually do what? Have a place for use so that one, we can make services aware, available to them. And the reason why is because I'm going to leave you with one really astounding statistic, okay? And the reason why I'm going to talk about the disparities I mentioned earlier, we're Latino kids, it's even more significant, right? So only one in 10 Latinos in this country over the age of 12 
have access to substance abuse services. That is a national wow. crisis. That's a national embarrassment. That is a national concern. And for us to think it's acceptable in this United States, that that is okay, is very telling. And so kudos to the policymakers who are saying, we wanna do something about that. So, because as we gain more knowledge about that everyone's wellness, and particularly for the younger population whose brain development so rightfully deserves to be taken care of, i.e. their health, safety, and welfare, all of it simply says kudos for the policymakers for advancing the development of more wellness rooms in our state. So I think that I just want to highlight that one in particular. I could go on forever about everything else that needs to be done, but maybe that's for a future interview, you know, at a future time. Yeah, that would be great to talk a little bit more about that in the future. I appreciate you bringing up some of these issues that we hope that the NM legislature, you know, addresses. Starting to wrap up here a little bit, where can people find more information about the National Latino Behavioral Health Association? Well, I talk about technology, right? So I'm going to give you some technology links or information, right? Actually, the best two places to go to all our talk about IT, right, is our website. And it's good information. So you just need to know that that all that's really good information. And I'll say it twice, by the way, and I'll give out our website. It's www.nlbha.org. So it's the acronym for the National Latino Behavioral Health Association. So again, the website is www.nlbha.org. That's really a very good place because there's also a contact us inside of that. There's a lot of cool resources there. We'd like you to be part of our Juntos Network. It's free. And we can give you lots of information about all the things we're doing all the time. And then if you really want to, if you are a user of social media, our Facebook page is very active. It, it shares all of the current happenings, the things that we're doing in our state for all of our programs and services. And that you can just find us on Facebook at, for nalba.org, right? Or you can type in National Latino Behavioral Health Association. We like to use the acronym because it's about this long versus our name, which is about that long. And so what's more important is that those are two very immediate ways. Somebody could right now type that in their handheld device and they can check us out on our Facebook page or go to our website. And that will start to tell you the story of who we are. It's how we live and breathe our mission. And I want to say thank you to you, Eve, for this phenomenal interview because, you know, it's really a way of helping us as society get ready for what's more to come. And so thank you for your leadership. Thank you for leading this interview. And more importantly, for really keeping some of the traditions in your community and your family alive to, so that we can be of service to each other. Much of what we can learn from each other is because of our diverse cultural backgrounds and experiences, right? So if my DNA says I'm 38% Native American, right? I'm still searching to make sure I can find out which Pueblo that is or which tribe, because the point being is this is we are all a collective community at this place in time. And what it means is our spirits, our roots, our heritage are woven in such a way that we are the tapestry of what history and our heritage has become. We are who we are because of our ancestors. And so here we are together. And thank you for this opportunity to, to share some of this, both insight or experiences and information to help really continue to promote for all of our communities, 
what is important, and that is our well-being and our health. Thank you so much, Mr. Sandoval. It, it's an honor to be able to be here with you today and hear about your work, what you've done for our community and abroad. And I thought what you said was really beautiful about this tapestry of our interconnectedness. I really, I think that was a beautiful way to kind of close up. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I suppose let's make 2024 a good year, right? Let's all of us envision what we can do starting even after this interview with something that really will help us build this tapestry of well-being, of taking care of each other. Because at the end of the day, we really have to do this all together. So just want to say that. And thank you again so much and appreciate all that Generation Justice does to really model and walk the talk, right? Which is the youth are the leaders of today. So for those of us who have been saying, oh, you guys are the leaders of the future, let's change that. Let's mm -hmm. talk about how the youth are the leaders of today. And let's bring you into the fold by changing the way as adults, how we have maybe historically done to limit that opportunity. So thanks again. Well, thank you so much again, you know, for your time today and being here with me and our partnership, you know, together with Generation Justice. For Generation Justice, I'm Eve Nanyes. Thank you, Mr. Sandoval, for your commitment to this community and your dedication to youth sharing their voice. Your effort and care does not go unnoticed. Thank you, Mr. Sandoval. As a young Latino myself, I appreciate your commitment to empowering and uplifting the next generation. Thank you for creating meaningful impact and opportunities for our communities and our future. Here is the song Libro Abierto by Gerardo Reyes, chosen by our guest, Fred Sandoval. After the song, we share a letter to 25-year-old Palestinian journalist, Bisan Auda. Palestinian journalist Bisan Oda is only 25 years old. Bisan uses her social media platforms to inform the world about the genocide and the atrocities that people in Gaza face. Leader for Change fellow Osiris Rodriguez from the New Mexico Dream Team shares a letter to Bisan. Hi, Bisan. My name is Osiris Rodriguez. I'm 18 years old, and I know what it's like to wake up and find your life has been destroyed and feel that unbearable feeling, knowing that you have done nothing wrong, but nevertheless, deeming the cruelty of mankind. As humans, we see the numbers rise and it's tough for us to process and grasp mass suffering. Your content and following your story remind me every day that the numbers represent real people with names, dreams, and beautiful souls. The fact that you show all aspects of the narrative is something that I love. You humanize what many discard. Your personal testimony, as well as the fact that you constantly put your heart into every message, gives me the strength to continue to fight. You are able to be the voice of men and spirits who have been drained, the courage to call out and show us updates that are not necessarily the ones we want to see or hear is an invaluable quality. In order to reveal to the entire world the truth, you made the greatest sacrifice. 
You were tremendously courageous in many ways that I could have never imagined. And you have the largest heart. You are right, you are just. The world is evil, but its wickedness will eventually suffocate you. I cannot comfort you, but I see you and I hear your pain. Thank you for sharing your powerful letter, Osiris. Your thoughts and sentiments deeply resonate with me and many others. Thank you, Osiris, for your care and compassion. Your voice is inspiring. Now here's a song, Dear Palestine, by Mr. Capone, an American rapper born in Pakistan. For the rest of the evening, we will highlight upcoming community events you won't want to miss, and of course, share our weekly vaccine equity segment. Dear Palestine, Bismillah, Mana Rahim. I woke up this morning, had this promising dream that Palestine was free. Cease fire, never expire, and you guys got peace. Peace. No more bombs in the sky, no more innocent babies, children to die, no more media lies, no more mothers to cry. On the outside looking inside, my soul won't die. Hello, New Mexico. Tonight, my co-host and I share community events and resources for you. Starting off with the Albuquerque Lollapalooza, a free legal fair, taking place on Friday, March 1st from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. New Mexico Legal Aid is hosting this event at Cesar Chavez Community Center at 7505 Catherine Avenue Southeast. Bilingual attorneys and staff will be available. For more information, contact legal clinics at nmlegalaid.org or call 1-877-266-9861. Before Night Falls is the newest opera being shared at the National Hispanic Cultural Center. It will be on Friday, March 1st at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday, March 3rd at 2 p.m. Produced with the New Mexico Gay Men's Choir, the opera shares the story of Reynaldo Arenas, his unapologetic pride as a gay man his active political dissent, his daring escape from Cuba, and more. For more information, contact the Opera Southwest at 505-243-0591. Generation Justice and Raices Community Education of Traditional Medicine are hosting Love and Light in Action gatherings every other Sunday at 1 p.m. at Tigüe Park. That's right. Our next Love and Light gathering will be on Sunday, March 10th at 1 p.m. As we are in the midst of great changes, we know that the best medicine is to be in community. For more information about these bi-weekly gatherings, you can visit Generation Justice on Facebook. That's it for a weekly community calendar. As we consider our community and its resources, please enjoy Arrested Development's powerful song, Mr. Wendell. Mr. Wendell, a man, a human in flesh, but not by law. I feed you dignity to stand with pride, realize that all in all, you stand tall. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell.
It's time for vaccine equity in New Mexico. Here is the latest news on COVID-19. The latest COVID-19 variant, JN.1, now makes up 93% of all COVID-19 infections across the country. Current COVID-19 vaccines are effective against this variant. The CDC recommends that everyone six months and older receives an updated monovalent COVID-19 vaccine. If you haven't yet gotten yours, visit vaccine.doh.nm.gov to find a vaccination location near you. Again, the website is vaccine.doh.nm.gov. Free COVID-19 tests are still available to order while supplies last from covidtest.gov. Again, that's covidtest.gov. Order your four free COVID-19 antigen tests if you haven't already. COVID-19, the flu, and RSV are still here and as dangerous as ever. These viruses require care and safety measures to protect ourselves and our neighbors. Don't forget to wash your hands frequently, wear a KN95 mask, and practice social distancing to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and other respiratory illnesses. We hope you enjoyed this hour of community conversation and connection. We'd like to thank our guest, Fred Sandoval. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rael and Barbara Ramirez, with production assistance from Ariana Cordova and myself, Lily Lucao. And thank you to our interviewer, Eve Nanez. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you. KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health, Infectious Disease Bureau through the Better Together Coalition, the McCune Foundation, as well as Media Justice, the Santa Fe Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last song of the night is Star by Gary Clark Jr. I am Lily Lucao. And I'm Sejen Rualcaba. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at seven o'clock. Good night, New Mexico.